Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast, hosted by Matt Hallisey and Al Horn. This is the only entrepreneurial podcast that helps you take the most important step to finally achieving financial and personal freedom. What is that step? Well, it's the very next step you need to take. It doesn't matter whether you've started a business but aren't profitable, or you've only just now thought about starting a business for the first time. You can design your new life in just a short period of time. We both started multiple profitable businesses, and we're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of. The crazy thing is you don't need to be especially talented, experienced, smart, or even lucky to make this happen. You just have to take the first step that's in front of you. So grab a drink and join us while we discuss our own journeys from working for other people as employees to living our dream lifestyle as business owners. We share our successes, our failures, and the simple formula we've discovered to go from starting from nothing to having our own profitable business in just a short period of time. We're here to help you move closer to your goal of living the life that you've been dreaming of but we're always scared to go after. Welcome to the Hallisey and Horn podcast. Well, and what we could do too is um, we'll hit on the topics today and then we could actually pivot on yours pretty, because yours are more like recommendations on what to do, like kind of at yeah, that point. Yeah, kind of, yeah. They're kind of recommendations, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we can actually hit, ooh, let me just take care of this. And, and well, <clears throat> I was going to. Oh, anyway, off, these but... are kind of the things. These are kind of the initial things you can do at that point. Mm-hmm. It seems like, like okay, you know, whether it's a mindset thing or actually, you know, what are the exit, the you know, the early, early first things you want to think about or do once you know you have a viable idea. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, I like that term viable because one of the first things I was going to mention is what's the definition of good? Depends um, on how bad of a situation you're in. Well, <laughs> you know, good food. If you're, if you're, if you're very picky, good food has to be really good. If you haven't eaten in three weeks, good food right. is anything that doesn't have bugs crawling on it. <laughs> or, or the bugs are extra protein, my friend. So, you or know, maybe sometimes- the bugs are, Maybe the bugs of the hors d'oeuvre. Oh, man. I saw this. There was this thing on on, on uh, Amazon Prime uh, called Mondo something or other, and it was the craziest movie. And it was just, I guess this is like the second time this is their, what do you call it, when they have a movie and the sequel to their first movie. And I, had, I, I couldn't watch the whole thing. I kind, of, I kind of fell asleep. But it was the craziest thing about people. And it, I think it was, it was set in 1963 or filmed in 1963. It was a documentary. And it just talked about the most bizarre things that people do. And uh, it was just crazy. Um, you know, there's this one, tri- it, 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 it was like a documentary, and there was this one tribe somewhere in Africa where all they have to eat, all they have to eat is crocodile meat. And because they eat nothing but crocodile meat, 
the men are sterile. What? The men are sterile because all they eat is crocodile meat. And that makes you sterile? I guess it does. Um, doesn't do a lot for the crocodile either. <laughs> but uh, anyway, right, right. One, one kid isn't sterile in the village. And we're talking about a village of maybe 50 or 60 or 70 people max, right? And continuing to decline because... So one kid is sterile. And in order to... Uh, one kid is, it isn't sterile. And in, in order to <clears throat> make sure he doesn't go sterile, they go and they, they catch a big fish for him to eat. But it's hard to catch this fish and it won't feed the whole village. The only thing that'll feed the village is a crocodile. It's it, it and the other stuff it just this world is too weird for words. I, I woke up thinking this morning that this world is just too bizarre and is getting more bizarre by the minute. I I, I looked at Yahoo this morning and Texas is suing to overturn the election. <laughs> Did you see that? Uh, they're the seventh state that's doing that right now. Do you think that Biden is going to be sworn in come January 20th? Or do you think this is going to turn into some kind of a crazy fiasco of confusion and uh, ridiculousness? Um, I honestly think I was talking about this last night with my wife. I think it's 50, 50. I really do. Wow. Well, have you ever read the 12th amendment? I probably have, but I couldn't quote it. See, this you. is where it's going. And people think that Trump has to, in order for Trump to be president, he has to win all these court cases, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to win one single court case. The 12th Amendment was passed. It was the 13th Amendment was one that outlawed slavery. The 12th Amendment was like right before then. So probably 1840s-ish, 1850s. And what it says is, in the event there are not a sufficient number of electors to win the presidency, then to determine the president, it's like the first tie-break procedure, right? So it's like an NFL game goes to overtime and you have a coin flip and you have to score a touchdown. But if you score a field goal, then the other team gets the ball. Kind of like that, okay? And so what it says is in the event there's not a requisite number of electors to win the presidency, in other words, right now, if you don't get 270 electors, then it, go, uh, then it goes to the next round of a tiebreaker. And I'm specifically holding that back for a minute. So Biden won. If, if things hold up and nothing changes, he won 290 electors. Does that sound about right? I think possibly. I thought he won by a, a, a substantial amount. It wasn't, it wasn't by that yeah, it wasn't by that much. He wasn't over 300. I know that because that would have made mm-hmm. the news. That would have been mm-hmm. in a headline. So let's call it 290, which means he can only lose 20 electors. If right now there are six, and if Texas is there, it's seven. There are six. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back to the 12th Amendment. So the 12th Amendment says in the event there's not enough electors, it reverts to Congress. Oh, God. No but not in a really weird way, not in the way you'd think. So it's not like, oh, well, the Democrats control Congress, you know, Biden's going to be president. It doesn't work that way via the 12th Amendment. Hmm. The 12th Amendment says that Congress 
will pick one, there is one person, one congressperson from each state will vote. Right. So California gets one person to vote. Texas gets one person from Texas to vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all the people from California vote on who's going to be the elector, right? So you get Nancy Pelosi, Eric Swalwell, um, Ted Lieu, all those, like, are you there? Yes. Joe Biden had 306 electoral okay, votes. Okay, so let's say 306. Okay. So he Trump can lose, had 232. Just to he, can lose, he can lose 36 votes. If he loses 37 votes, it reverts to the electoral problem. So the 12th yes. Amendment. Yes. And so what happens is there's one person from each state in Congress that votes. So the people in California who are con- Congress people determine who that one person is going to be. Yes. So let's say Nancy Pelosi votes and goes <clears throat> Biden. Well, all the Congress people from Texas, which is mainly Republicans, get together and say, okay, we're going to pick one person from our group and they mm-hmm. vote Trump. Then Mississippi has one vote. Alaska yes. has one vote. Rhode Island sure. has one vote. Hmm. Currently... The Republicans have a majority per state in 37 of the 50 states. Are you sure it's one vote or is it two? No, they get no, they get one vote per state. Two people. Two people. No, that's Senate. That's the oh, Senate. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. This is the weird tiebreaker thing. So it doesn't mm. occur anywhere else. Oh, the tiebreaker. So, gotcha. So okay. California will vote once, Ohio will vote once, Wisconsin will vote once. Well, currently the Republicans hold a majority in the number of seats in Congress per party in 37 of the 50 states. I see. Which means if Biden gets 269 votes or fewer, Trump will be president. So how do you get that? No, so how do you get that? Currently, there are six states whose legislatures have convened to decertify their their votes, to not take the, the, the actual votes because they think there's enough fraud or or just they, they don't have enough, there's not enough confidence in the amount that they're, they're actually deliberating right now whether to decertify their election. And those are the six swing states. Those are Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Arizona, and Nevada. If mm-hmm. Biden loses two of those, if he loses Pennsylvania <laughs> and Georgia, he will not have 270 votes. It's that simple. If he loses Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin or Michigan, he won't have those votes. If he has Pennsylvania and any one of those states, he won't have those votes. Well, you know, I'm so that's not what I'm a, saying. So yes. I don't know. So I say 50-50 because I'm a natural, I'm one, I'm, I'm an optimist in some regards, and one, I just know the corruption and I know politicians get bought off. So I'd probably say 49%, I think Trump's going to win, and 51%, you know, people are going to mm. be on the take. So, Wow. So well, that's one ne- of the things that it's not being talked about right now. Trump doesn't have to win any court cases. He doesn't have to win one. So all this news about, oh, Trump lost in court, he doesn't care. I mean, he'll, I mean it, it, that helps. It's one avenue. But the, the Republicans control the legislature in all six of those states. And if Texas is there, that's seven and they control, if he loses, and then Texas doesn't matter because Trump won. So Texas is kind of a meaningless one. But the other six, mm-hmm. if, if Trump wins two of those six, he'll be president. 
Well, you know, I'm not a political animal, Matt. And uh, no, I just want to see it happen. I'm all, I'm all for chaos. Are you? Yeah, like, yeah, I just like to see, I've never seen, I've never seen the 12th Amendment ever happen before. So regardless of the outcome, I just kind of want to see it play out and have people freak out. My wife a few years ago, and I got to tell you, of all the times when you could say, how proud have you ever been to your wife? The the proudest I might have been was a couple years ago, they had a, they had something that, um, a proposition on the ballot, and they actually got enough signatures to get on the ballot, and it was to secede, it was Cal exit. It was to secede from... (laughs) <laughs> this yeah. the u.s yeah and it right. got pulled from the ballot by the supreme court but my wife was super excited about it she's like yeah we gotta we gotta cause we gotta we gotta cause trouble and so like she thought what it'd be she, cool uh, to have like uh, an anarchist or something she had kind of all in that moment she kind of had an anarchist tendency but no she's like she's far for the farthest from the anarchist but you're it, married to an anarchist somewhere this was somewhere this latent desire for you know not rock the boat but like chop the boat in half <laughs> you know you kind of want to you want to live in interesting times right you want to be able to say oh i remember when that happened no no i don't i don't want to live in interesting times that much i want to live in really boring predictable times <laughs> well i don't mind boring which i've succeeded times. in doing at least in i don't my mind bubble. boring i don't mind boring predictable times as long as they're good times like Oh, well, yeah. You know, I I feel the same way. Medieval England in like the the year 1120. That's pretty boring time, but I don't want to live there. Right, right. (laughs) Right. But like, I I would say this in the 90s, you know, kind of 80s, 90s compared to now, that was kind of boring times. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was nothing like weird, crazy happening. There's no like big wars or terrorists flying all over the place. I mean, it was kind of you went about your business. Right. So, um, yeah, and sometimes I kind of feel like Bill Murray in uh, in uh, the movie Groundhog uh, Day. Groundhog Day, where he is saying to himself, "That day on the beach with the supermodel, uh, why couldn't I just keep reliving that one over and over again?" You know, right? Uh, but <laughs> yeah, you don't get <laughs> that to pick just your isn't day. how life cool. works. It would be cool if you could pick like the period of time where you'd say, I like that day. Let's just keep doing that over and over again. Like the day you won the lottery. Like let's oh, just win the lottery. No. no, that's, 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 that's too much adrenaline. That's too much excitement for me. There's our mascot. Um, is he chiming in? Does he have an opinion on this? Because uh, uh, anyway, um, that's okay. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. I'm glad he spoke he told up. told me he doesn't because... remember the eighties. I'm figuring it's a dog. He's probably right. <laughs> he doesn't birthday 80s yeah i'm just getting to the point now i'm not sure i remember anything in my life it's it's all becoming a blur and part of the reason is that i just part of the reason is i'm in this lockdown now which we all are in cali where it's literally illegal for any group of people to gather any any group to gather for any purpose in any uh, any quantity of numbers, um, you know, three people can't get together and have a cup of coffee. I mean, it's getting ridiculous over here. You know the irony. So I read I read the the order the restrictions, and you're right. You can't if I if we wanted to go down to Better Buzz and have a have a coffee together. Yeah, that's they're not allowed to open, right? 
But one of the exemptions is outdoor recreation. So I am having, we're having a baseball, no, don't joke. We're having a baseball scrimmage on Sunday and there's going to be like 20, 25 of us out there oh. and it's totally permissible. So let's, let's just show you the back. Is there going to be nature. coffee? Is there going to be coffee? Because... Well, we're, we're having better buzz cater it so that we figure we can't go there. So I'm there. If there's coffee, I will be there with my mask and also my face shield that pulls right. down. And I'd love to watch the uh, the game. So make sure you let me know about that. Right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, coffee, it, you'll like yeah. this. So my <laughs> wife is trying to reg has been trying to regulate my stepdaughter's coffee intake. So she doesn't want to uh -oh. drink coffee a lot. So I don't think she realized this. So what'd she get her for for Advent? <laughs> was she got her this little poke? Remember those old like on the Price is Right? They had that thing where you like punch the thing and you pull it out and there's like a dollar amount. You ever see? You ever watch the Price is Right? I have watched The Price is Right. So they have this thing where it's called Punch Out. And it's like, okay. can you get to, if you guess the price on something correct, you get to punch. And so there's a, like these little squares and you like punch through the paper mache thing. Oh. And inside there's like a slip with a dollar amount or a prize or something. And basically you win whatever the dollar amount is. Well, my wife got one of those for coffee. And so inside we have one of those Nespresso things here. So inside mm, every nice. single day in Advent, there's another cup of coffee. So <laughs> she opened it up and I said, you do know that you've basically green lighted your daughter. <clears throat> She's now allowed to have coffee every day. And she kind of looked at me realizing, oh, <laughs> I didn't do the math on that one. Well, is, is there anything wrong with that in moderation? You know, I mean, I've, I, I don't feel like I've really started my day. I, ha I sit at my desk here. Um, with my two computers, I got a notebook to my to my left, another one that I'm sitting in front of right here, and uh, I don't feel like I've started my day. My my vocal cords are not limbered up. Um, I, I feel like an old man until I've had my uh, first cup of coffee. Nothing fancy, you know. Just right. a, just a. It's it's strange. It's like I I bought some coffee at uh at uh, at the at the market supermarket and in a can and it was uh kroger's brand and it was on sale big can you know the big can on sale it had a lot of good things on that to say about itself on the label you know won this award medium roast <clears throat> and it was four dollars a can so before i heard oh my god you know the pandemic I said, I better make sure I had some coffee. So I, uh, I bought 13 cans of it uh, at $4 a can. It's a small investment to make sure you got what you need. And uh, I just drink a cup to cup and a half, maybe two cups at the most every day, just in the morning. And uh, I just, I guess it's an, it's, a, it's an addiction that I just really enjoy. I don't see any harm in it. <clears throat> but um, just to show you how time flies, just drinking the two cups a day, I am literally almost done with the second to the last can. I've got like one can left. And, um, you know, it just, it just, just reminds me that how time just passes, you know, one cup of coffee at a time, a day, you know, it just... <laughs> passes and there it is so um 
I don't know. I'm a bit. I'm a bit in a a, a philosophical kind of uh, almost slightly melancholy mood this morning. So let's see how our uh, let's uh, let's talk about entrepreneurs and let's talk about our topics today, Matt. So why don't you introduce? Yeah. Us? So let's uh, let's get you out of your melancholy mood. So slightly melancholy. <laughs> Moderately melancholy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say, and I'll, I'll try to do my best little segue possible. Mm. So let's say you're sitting here and you're like Al and you're having a moderately or a modicum or of, of a melancholy morning. How about that? <laughs> Beautiful. And you're trying to think of a business idea and you really have had no luck at all. And you have a couple ideas and you're like, well, I don't know. I'm too melancholy to know that if I have a good idea. So we're going to give you five kind of top five ways um, at least, and we'll see if we add any on the back end, five ways that you know that you have a viable business idea. So number one, um, you've polled people in your target market and it's P-O-L-L-E-D, not P-O-L-E-D because that, um, that would be murder if you polled them. Uh, you polled people in your target market and they validated the idea. So you know, an example of this, when I first started out, I was trying to figure out, you know, I was trying to find out, I had an idea of you know, the whole, the, the job where I do sales training, I hate the word sales training, by the way, but just helping mm. people be better at sales is probably a better word of saying it. But, mm. and, um, and so I basically went to some groups on LinkedIn and, you know, I asked people what they struggled with and they kind of gave me some answers. And I asked them, you know, specifically people in like LinkedIn groups that were like professional salespeople. <clears throat> And I said, I'm thinking of starting this business where I help people with this and this and this. Would you, is this something that you would actually spend time on and you know, invest money in? And they basically said, yeah, if it worked. Um, but there was kind of a little bit of a high bar on that. So you know, in the end, it's like there were things I pulled people and they, you know, they weren't, they, I either didn't get a response on it or I didn't get the response that I wanted and I kind of moved on in a different direction. Um, but when you, ask, when you actually talk to people who are in your target market, and they valid the idea. Now, I will say this: the opposite is is a very important thing. It's not it's not just polling people and having them validate the idea. The worst people right now that you can validate that you can poll to ask about a business idea and give you advice that even means anything is family. <laughs> and usually, it's the other way around. Like if you have a business idea and your family members are like, "Oh, that sounds great," it usually means it's going to be a flaming. Uh, bag of dog poo sitting on your front porch. Like you really want no part of it. Mm. But on the other hand, if you ask your family and they don't like it and they're not in your target market, then that's a good sign. And you should probably move forward and start pulling people in your target market. But you want to basically get it to a point, not that they're saying, yes, it's a good idea, but to a point where like you're asking people in the target market and they show enough interest to start asking you more about kind of what you're thinking, which is, which is, you know, in sales, they call it a buying signal. So, mm -hmm. yes. So, what's your thought on that? Well, <clears throat> here, here, here's some my some of my thoughts on that, Matt. Well, first of all, I feel that most most entrepreneur types, okay, uh, tend to be. Uh, 
outside of the norm, if you will. Uh, first of all, they they tend to be a, a bit of a, a of a of a weird bird. Okay, not in a negative way necessarily, but they're just not the average type of nine to five ins insurance salesman or you know broker, or real estate person or whatever. Um, that's doing a nine to five type routine, repetitive job, or they get super inspired. But my, related to the melancholy comment, um, I think that sometimes out of their situation, they get super enthused over something that comes into their mind, into their brain. And so they have a lot of enthusiasm for something they think sometimes that they've come up with the best thing since sliced bread um, or they come up with an idea or for a product, but they don't have the product. They come up with an idea for a service that they think is just amazing because it's something they would like to have, or they think the whole world has been waiting for this. And uh, they tend, I believe, and I, I, I don't want to, to be negative, but they tend, I believe, to have what the, what's commonly referred to as psychological bias. In other words, they invented it, they came up with the idea, they've fallen in love with it, you know, and uh, they're, they're looking for other people to validate that. And very often what they end up with is uh, a psychological bias so that even if somebody says, well, I don't particularly care for that, or that doesn't sound like a good idea, they sort of just ignore that. And if somebody says that sounds like a great idea, then they just wrap their arms around that. So I do believe there's a tendency for psychological bias. Um, so I'd like to say also that an idea for a product or an idea for a service is not a service. It's not a product. It's just an idea. So the gap between going from idea to actually having something, okay, can be huge, okay? Um, you know, uh, having an idea you know, to cure cancer or having an idea that everybody has a flying car or ha have an idea that everybody uh, attains some kind of optimal health or whatever. These, these ideas are, are just that. And, and what the entrepreneur really needs to, to come to grips with, if you will, is the the reality of the situation in terms of well how do you go from concept and idea to something that's actually real that does something okay and of course the difference between a service and a product is huge um and i i i believe that most most entrepreneurs go into this situation not knowing what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And so, and that's part of the process and that's fine. But <clears throat> I can think of uh, so many examples of someone who had an idea, went through the process of, of determining whether it was viable, 
got some positive feedback and then moved forward with it and just never realized how difficult and challenging it was going to be to actually create this thing. And I'm not even talking about marketing it and people buying it and, uh, and uh, making sure that the competition doesn't eat your lunch uh, and all of those good things, just turning it into something real. They just don't get how difficult that is. And sometimes they're so enthused, they mortgage their home, they take out a loan, uh, they fall in love, not just in love, but in lust with this, this idea that they have and uh, don't really have the proper, uh, the proper understanding or know-how <clears throat> to really understand what it is they don't know that they don't know. That, that's just something I, 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 I just need to put out there, man. So let me ask you this. So what do you think the reason is? Why do you think there's just so like, what's the, I forget the word I want to use, but why so eager for lack of a better word mm -hmm. to fall in love with that idea? Well, that's a good question. And um, I'm not really sure I understand the answer. I think it's a psychological thing. I, I believe very often that they're coming from a point of view where this idea or concept validates themselves in some way. They want to feel good about themselves or they're in a they're in a bad situation. They're not in an optimal situation where they're making enough money or they have a bad boss or they have a job they hate or they have ideas about that they need to make, you know, pay the bills or make more money or they want to be the next Elon Musk or whatever, whatever it is. But they, when they come up with this inspiration, and I think it's much like a, an artist would come up with an inspiration. They come up with this inspiration and just get fixated on it and uh, see it as the solution, if you will, or the answer to all their problems. In other words, they're not really looking at it from a business point of view. They're looking at it from the point of view of, I'm excited because I think I've, Eureka, I found it. I've, I, I'm excited because this idea came from the universe into my mind and, now I'm going to uh, I, I, I'm going to uh, obsess about this thing, uh, uh, you know, uh, until until I find out that it's impossible. <laughs> right. I don't mean to be negative. I'm just saying, let's look at the reality of the situation from a business point of view, and not from the point of view that I am an amazing, great, incredible person slash entrepreneur because I've come up with this idea, okay? I mean, I really believe that 99% of the stuff that people do that makes money, whether they're in business for themselves or not, is just, is nothing new or unique about it in any way. If you go to, uh, if you go to Facebook, which I'm not in love with Facebook, but if you go to Facebook Marketplace, okay, and you see what people are selling and what people are offering in terms of services, you'll see that 90, 90, 95, 90, up to almost 99% of it is just 
simple, simple, uh, straightforward services of some kind. You know, I'll move. I never, a, I never uh, go on there. Is that what it is? Like moving and things like that. Well, there's, there's that. It, it tends to be, it tends to be small, very small business type situations. You know, somebody who wants to put a glaze on your bathtub or. or somebody who wants to move a, a, a jacuzzi from point A to point B, or somebody who wants to, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, deliver to your house 30, uh, 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 you know, lumpias, Philippine egg roll type products, or God knows what. I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at because you really get a kind of a, uh, you get an interesting perspective on what people out there are willing to do for money, you know. And from an entrepreneur point of view, you're not going to, you, you might see some sponsored ads on there for some bigger type companies. Um, but mostly it's just entrepreneurs and people working out of their home, what have you, you know. So it's interesting. But um, my point is this, that your unique idea that you think is going to be a unicorn, okay, and one day is going to have a valuation of, you know, $30 billion or whatever. You, you better have another cup of coffee and think about it because it, it, it isn't, it may seem like a great idea to you and, and the next thing, best thing since sliced bread. But in reality, it's a tough, very tough road to hoe. That's, that's just basically what I'm saying. And, and validating it is important. But I do believe that it's not most entrepreneurs are so in love with the idea that they came up with that this have the psychological bias and and the validation part of it um, doesn't really get they don't really do their due diligence. Let me just put it to you that that's my opinion. Yeah. And I, and I tend to think it's like one of these things where people are just they're just not happy with their life. And it's like anything mm -hmm. sounds better. Right. Like they have a boss who's on their butt. They have a wife who they don't get along with or a husband they don't get along with. And it's like, here comes something that I created. It's me. And it sounds a heck of a lot better. And they have control over kind of where that goes. And so because they can take that idea and allow and use that as control to make themselves to, in their own mind to make themselves happier. Um, it sounds amazing and they'll do anything for it, you know? And then there's kind of at the same time, there's like a lack of good options. So it's not like there's 17 ideas they have and this one just happens to be the best of the 17. It's like they hate their life. It sucks their life. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, there's an avenue for me to be happy and to assert more control in my life. And it's just not the case. Right. You know, and you're not being, and you're not like really being unbiased about it. And it's no different than what anybody does in anything else. I mean, it's like, you know, we, some people have pet causes and they're animal, you know, they're like animal uh, rescue Nazis. And I think animal rescue is awesome, but it's like, there's just, a, you know, it's like that thing from Hamlet, thou doth, the lady doth protest too much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's okay to be happy about something, but like, you want to give, you want to give it as much affection and attention as it deserves. Yes. And it's like, once you're way off to the other side and you're like, I'm you know, this is my thing and I'm just way off on my pet tangent. Um, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. what the topic is. It's probably not going to be 
not going to be accurate. I mean, nobody in history, if you look at like other entrepreneurs, nobody goes, oh, that's an amazing idea. I love the idea. I'm not doing any due diligence. Let's just dive head first. And then they're going to become billionaires. Like it just generally doesn't work that way. No. Nope. You either meet somebody who, you know, enables you to leverage both their talents and it works out really well, or you started something and you build it from scratch, you know, kind of very organically, or, you know, you pitch an idea, let's say you pitch an idea at a business conference and some VC guy comes up and says, or somebody comes up and says, Hey, I want to invest in that idea. But it's, it's all of those come from outside of yourself. And so I'd say the big thing, you know, kind of based on what you were saying that I would be very wary of um, in what people are saying is like, you want to be wary when you're your biggest cheerleader. Right. Right. Like if, well, yeah, I think you, 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 you touched on an important point, Matt, in that some, uh, very often the entrepreneur comes up with this idea because they're kind of obsessed about something else, okay, that's important in their life. And if, for example, if it's, <clears throat> if it's animals, then they come up with an entrepreneurial idea about animals. If it's yoga, then they come up with an entrepreneurial idea about yoga or whatever it is, their passion, you know, Especially this generation, I, <clears throat> I, I've been hearing so much uh, of this pitch to this generation is follow your passion. What is your passion? Your passion, your passion, your passion. And um, I do believe that there, there's many, especially younger people now, who are, who are thinking that their life is, you know, worthless and if they aren't living their passion every day. Well, it's not bad advice. I think you should pay attention to what it is that you love to do and follow your bliss, so to speak, and follow what it is that you love to do. I don't think you should want to want you. I don't think you should, uh, uh, you know, put up necessarily with being stuck in a, in a nine to five boring, uh, you know, meaningless existence. Uh, you know, for God's sake, I mean, we don't live in, you don't want to live in a Kafka esque world you know, of, of, of that type of thing. But by the same token, um, there are many people out there, like I said, who, who, who have a passion for something and they want to turn it into a business. But they don't have a business background, okay? They don't have any real financial resources to speak of. They're already spending 10 hours a day working for the man Okay, so that they can pay their mortgage or put food in the, their belly or their family's bellies, you know. Um, they, they're not necessarily expert in that, that field, okay. Maybe they do know about it. Maybe it would be a great hobby, okay. But it isn't going to be, it isn't viable and it isn't going to be a business. And even if it is viable, is it sustainable and is it scalable? And are they prepared to wear all those different hats and jump into that, that, that mosh pit known as competitive business, small startup situation and make this thing happen? And are they prepared for the competition that they're going to run up against? <clears throat> and the fact that they are most likely severely undercapitalized 
and do not have any real management skills. <laughs> they don't understand marketing. They don't understand marketing strategy. And so they're almost doomed to failure. And it's sad. I mean, I have, I have gone to many networking events where I've chatted with people who wanted, uh, who had a business uh, situation that they called it a business and they were a coach or they had some crazy idea for a pet hotel. Um, and before that they were in love with something else. And before that they were, in, in other words, they're, they're not serial entrepreneurs. They're serial. Um, they're serial creators of potential entrepreneur situations. <laughs> and they go from literally from one failure to the next. So, you know, I think part of what we want to make, part of what we want to uh, provide to our audience out there is, uh, is some feedback and some, and some, some uh, processes and some strategies uh, so that uh, they don't fall into that trap. And, and it's almost, a, it's almost, I was going to say a catch 22, but it's not, I wouldn't call it exactly a catch 22. It's almost a, uh, well, it's definitely ironic that some, that most of the people who want to be entrepreneurs are not prepared to be entrepreneurs. And maybe if they fail enough times they will become entrepreneurs but it, it's a certain personality type it is certain motivational motivational uh motivations that they have um where they get inspired they get enthused motivated to to take on this entrepreneurial challenge um and they have to be a certain kind of person to do that i mean you have to and even to, to to even remotely be successful you have to be a certain kind of person almost a crazy person in my opinion because and crazy by i mean crazy in the sense that you're just like not like 99 percent of the other people in this world okay and you're just quote crazy enough to make it work but let's face reality that most of the time the product is either half-baked the service is not viable or there's too much competition or you haven't done your due diligence, you're literally doomed to failure if you don't do the right things the right way. And that's just what I have to say about that. No, and I think it makes sense. I think touching on a couple things you mentioned, um, I think are really key. Number one, it's like you had mentioned it being a hobby, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to make it a little bit more of an exaggeration just to illustrate it. Um, you know, when you run a business, you're really responsible for managing an enterprise. Now it may be an enterprise of one, it may be a very small enterprise in the beginning, but that's the way that you need to approach it versus a hobby. Like I think of somebody who does cross stitching or knits blankets, right? It's like, you may love doing it, but it's a hobby. Like it's not a business. You're not, you're just kind of entertaining yourself for the most part. It's just something that you do for yourself, but you're not really the, the, oh, what do you want to call it? The, um, the steward for that enterprise. And then secondarily, you had mentioned, you know, not having any management skills, which is like, 
if you don't have management or leadership skills, then you can put up with yourself for a while, right? But once it gets to a point where, well, I, I would even say this, once it gets to a point where you have to hire somebody or you bring somebody else in, even if it's an outside you know, contractor, if you don't know how to work with people and direct people and to inspire and or inspire people or really, you know, to, to, to grease, to take away the friction between people, um, then you've hit your Peter principle. Like you're never going to go any higher, but I would say you might not even get to that point because if you don't have any management skills at all, you probably are going to piss off all your customers. Mm-hmm. So whatever customers you do get, you're probably going to lose in the end. And so, you know, when you start, if, if somebody's here starting a business and they're like, well, you know, my life sucks and I hate my life. That's fine. That's not reason not to start a business. I'm, you know, I think it sometimes is a great reason to start a business. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of owning up to the fact that you're not happy in your life. Your life is not aligning to what you want it to be and you want to correct it. That's awesome. But you have to understand it's like, it's the, it's, you know what it's kind of like? It's like kind of saying, I want to go get a dog. And the idea of getting a dog is great. And you have a dog and you could pet him and, you know, you can play catch or drive him to car, do all these things that are great. But early on, if you get a dog, you're going to have to be, you're, you're going to be cleaning up pee and poop off the floor. The dog's going to get sick. There's going to be vomit. It's going to just be the very unsexy part of it. And, you know, your job is to make sure that, you know, that dog, you know, is a well-trained member of your family. Like you can come home and your furniture could be all chewed up. I know people who the dog decides they're just going to start gnawing on the legs of the couch. I, that's happened. <laughs> you know, you come home and there's a, a pillow disemboweled. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, all right, well, you know, getting a dog sounds great, but like my neighbor, it's funny. I was thinking about this right now. My neighbor three doors down got a dog and that dog lasted about three months. And I didn't really think about it till right now. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, where's Lucas? Oh, we don't have him anymore. And I'm like, oh, so you like the idea of having a dog, but you didn't actually like doing the work. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and having a business the same way, You're, you know, it's like, it's having a, oh, I'd love to have a kid, but it's like, okay, are you going to stay up in the middle of the night? Are you going to like get two hours of sleep? Are you going to be a parent or do you want a kid? There's a difference. So you're right. Anyway, so, you're I, right. so I think when it comes to, when it comes to, you know, starting a business, those two points that you mentioned are really, really key. Um, now the second, the second way to know if you, if your idea is a viable one, and I'd love to have you just jump in on this one first is you have expert experience in an area where people complain about the lack of a solution. In other words, you're hearing people just kvetch and moan and you're sitting here going, well, I know how to fix that. Like I have a track record. I, my career has, isn't that, or I have 10 years experience. I, and they're saying, I wish somebody would do something about this. And you're sitting here like with the answer kind of in the back of your mind, what's, what's your kind of thought about that? Well, give me an example, because I think that covers such a broad territory. Well, it is. Um, so let's say for example, yeah. like, and I'll give an example that just, I have no interest in at all, no background whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say that you're at a party and, you know, non-COVID, let's say that you're at a party <laughs> and somebody says, gosh, I really wish I knew somebody who could do my taxes because I hate doing my taxes. And I don't mm-hmm. want to pay some guy $1,000 to do, you know, taxes. 
And you're sitting here going, well, I'm a CPA, you know, I could probably do it for a couple hundred bucks. And it's like, you have experience, you have like a mm. professional expertise in that area. Mm. And you realize like, you know, here's a person complaining that they don't have that, you know, they don't have an answer for that and you could do it, but you never thought of actually doing, doing, doing it's like to be a CPA. Hold on one sec. All right. I need to make sure I don't touch my microphone anymore. Um, <laughs> anyway, but it's like maybe, maybe that person used to be a CPA and they just hated right. it. They worked in a, in a corporate office, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like an accounts payable supervisor mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, they just hated the job. My sister kind of used to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now she's a nurse. Right. But like, let's say some, and they realize that it's like, you know, somebody's complaining about it and you're like, wow, I could make like 500 bucks doing somebody's taxes or I could make, you know, 300 bucks for like an hour's work or mm-hmm. two hours work doing somebody's time. And then you realize, oh, oh yeah. And then you go to the next place and people are like, or like the person's like complaining about it. And the other person's like, yeah, I hate doing mine. I mean, I'm sitting here for a month doing it and I just absolutely hate it. It's not worth it. I just, I, I wish I could just pay somebody to do it, but there's nobody I know that I trust. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're surrounded by two or three people that are like complaining about this common problem. And little do they know, you know, because you're like in their cross-stitching club or whatever, but maybe little do they know that you actually are a certified public accountant, but you haven't done it in like eight years because you hated working in a corporate office. And it's mm. like, you actually have an expertise on that. You know, I, for example, I have, I speak French fluently. Like if somebody came around and said, Hey, you know, I wish I had somebody that could teach you. I'm going to, I'm going to France in like six months. I wish I had somebody that could like teach me how to speak it like halfway decently. Mm. I could do that. Like I never thought of doing it for a business, but it's like I could set up, you know, a program where I can get yeah. you up to that point. But you have ex- my point is you have expertise. Right. Have, it's not like, oh, I'd love to do this or this sounds like a cool thing to do. It's like mm-hmm. I already know on an expert level how to do something. Right. So I know that whatever <laughs> product or service that I'm giving out is gonna be high level and not even like competent, but like really um well delivered Mm -hmm. um, because of my expertise and my background in it. Yeah. So like if you wanted to start a business, you're, you're, you have a background in psychology and marketing and anything like that. So really any Mm -hmm. business that you start, if it's within one of those spheres, Mm. I mean, you're already off to a massive head start. Like, you know, it's not a question of will the business be profitable, but is it a viable idea? Like, can it be profitable? And if it's something you have a professional, or some deep, strong background in, um, then that's automatically a huge sign that depending on the demand for the the business, it very well could be a viable business. Yeah. Well, there's a number of of points uh, in in what you said there that are are worth uh, addressing. Um, First of all, if you're a CPA um, and even if you don't specialize in taxes, you're probably going to be doing taxes. But the key thing is this. There are many people out there that are CPAs or have the equivalence of that type of expertise and education. Okay. And they don't hang out their own shingle. They go to work for a big corporation of some kind that pays them very good money to do a nine to five job that they don't have to think about once they leave the office. 
yes, they put up with some negative stuff. They, you know, if they're in a, if they're in a situation where, you know, they could be downsized or they're in a situation where they don't particularly care for their boss or the bureaucracy, or maybe the, maybe the, the corporation isn't <clears throat> great. Uh, you know, they, or maybe they're just in a, uh, in a department that just kind of sucks. That's part of a bigger corporation or whatever, but that's, that, that those that's the price you pay for having that steady paycheck options to uh, you know uh, investment options and 401ks and all that good kind of stuff and and for knowing that if you do your job you're going to get that paycheck and of course if you're a CPA it's probably a pretty good paycheck and you can depend on it now if that person decides they want to hang their own shingle so to speak and go rent a small office and become a CPA to the general public or small businesses, they don't have those guarantees and they don't have the big resources behind them. That can be done and there are many, many people that do it and choose to do that, to go down that path. Um, but again, if they're that, if they're choose to do that, they need to understand what the challenges are going to be. They are not the only CPA in town, unless they're in a town so small that it isn't worth being a CPA there. <laughs> they are not the only CPA in town. And if somebody needs their taxes done, they can prop unless it's super complicated, um, they can go to an enrolled agent. And there's many of those in town. They don't have to be a CPA to do people's taxes. You do have to be CPA to, to operate with certain businesses on a certain level, okay? If a business has 100 employees, they probably don't go to an enrolled agent. They probably go to a CPA. Um, if they're smart, they do. Because there's all kinds of rules and laws and regulations that they need to be aware of where they will be in trouble if they don't do everything just the right way and have the the I's dotted and the T's crossed in exactly the right way. They could get into serious trouble and get fined or even shut down. So, um, so yeah, uh, I guess my point is this, that even if you're an expert in something, okay, and you've got people saying, hey, could you help me with this? Could you help me with that? First of all, if you're at a party and somebody says, could you help me with my taxes? You probably don't want to help that person Fair enough. because because for a number of reasons um because if that person is grumbling complaining that they can't get their taxes done or they don't like the person that's doing their taxes they may not like they probably aren't going to like you either i mean th that person could be just your worst nightmare as a client okay so you you <laughs> you want to be very careful that uh who you take on as a as a client um i would say that you know your best your best bet in that situation would be to have a nine to five job and get paid good money and if you want to do some extra work for people that you meet at parties and stuff on the side yeah you know invite them over to your house or meet at one uh, meet meet at their place or go to one of these temporary ad hoc office situations which you could do before now everything's changed but and help them you know and see what it's like and if you get so much people clamoring for your 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 help that you need to you, you don't have 
you know enough time in the day then maybe uh and you're and you're crazy enough to want to be an entrepreneur and start your own business then then consider it and do your due diligence and prepare yourself for what you're going to have in uh, in store coming coming your way you know um so i would say that um let me just put it to you this way and i think you agree with me on some level that expertise and demand does not a business make so you could have the expertise and you could see a demand that does not translate into a mathematical formula that says you should start a business it just doesn't there's too many no. other factors. and i would say that like we're not we're not necessarily if 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 it's the question is should you start the business now no i'm not saying that i think we're super mm -hmm. early on mm. we're just trying to like gather it's like is this idea worth even further consideration and vetting so like you know mm -hmm. if i just said okay i'm gonna sell you know like i don't know i'm just gonna i'm gonna sell chia pets right well, it's like I don't have any. It's a bit out any, there, but well, one, I don't have any. I, I don't have any interest in chia pets. I don't think there's a whole lot of demand for chia pets. And thirdly, I don't have any chia pets to sell. So it's like, all right, probably not a good idea, right? Um, let's say I want to offer my background in, um, you know, designing solar panels. Well, it's like I don't have mechanical or electrical engineering experience. So it's like, all right, well, that one's out. So sure. we're just talking about literally just the first gate that we're crossing. Right. So, and I, but I think if, if you get to the point where we're talking about like demand and how much time do you want to spend and things like that, then, then I think, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But I think the initial gate where we're just trying to figure out, does this sound like it's even viable, not mm -hmm. doable, profitable? Mm -hmm. How much consideration do I have? Do I want to dig deep? But just like, is it even viable? Is the body even right. warm? Right. 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 Um, and the <laughs> idea is we're trying to cross out the ones we're trying to eliminate the ones that are patently unviable. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, somebody, you know, somebody comes up and says, Matt, you know, I'm starting this business. Like, oh, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm starting this solar panel business, but I want to make my own solar panels and I don't have an electrical engineer. Do you want to come on board? I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> right. But it's like, all right, that one's dead on arrival. The body's cold before it even gets there. The question is, mm -hmm. is it viable? And I think if you have expertise in an area, you know what you're doing. You know the good from the bad. You know how to deliver a quality end result. It's like, all right, then it's viable. Is it worth doing? That's a different question. Mm -hmm. But I think right now it's like we're so early in the process. We just want to be able to take – what we're trying to do is help the people out there if they're listening and they're so eager, whether it's they just want to get a better life or they're fleeing from something that they hate, which are both equally important. Um from being able to cross ideas off their list. And the idea is you don't want to run to an idea and go, you don't want to be eager and say, oh, I love this idea, let's run forward. Mm -hmm. You kind of want to be your own skeptic. And I'm glad you exactly. asked this question. Yes. And so let's say that you come up with 20 ideas and, and you literally are just like, yeah, none of them are viable. Well, that, you know, and you're thinking, oh, that sucks. No, that doesn't suck because you successfully vetted out 20 ideas and you made the right decision on all 20 of them. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you could do is say, well, I vetted 19 ideas. They all, I've said, no, 19, the 20th is in. I'm like, all right, I'm due. 
-hmm. then you chase the wrong idea. <clears throat> and so the idea is you want to figure out what are some things that we want to look at so that when we hit one and we try to cross it out, we try to disqualify the idea. We try to say that it's not viable, but we just can't. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean we pursue the idea. It right. doesn't mean we run out to LegalZoom and form an LLC. No, mm -hmm. not at mm -hmm. all. Right. But we want to get to a point where it's like, how do you know that when you're doing this, it's like, oh, this might warrant further consideration. And we go to the next level of vetting. That's right. kind of what we're looking at. So expertise is important. And, and for example, a CPA, it's like you say you might want a nine to five job, but maybe they had, maybe they had twins or kids and they don't want a full-time job, but they still hold that license, right? It could be something where you have like, I have a friend of mine that has, who's a, I don't even know what the name of the certification is, but they're like a registered, I think a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to go, I think they worked at a hospital before, but they don't want to work full time. They just want to kind of have their own thing, work on their time. They don't want to, they're not looking to create this next eight figure business, mm -hmm. but they want to have something that's theirs. They get to do what they love, pick their clients, spend their time, help people out. And it's like, all right, well, they have this academic or professional background that they can immediately jump in and, and they know they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. what they do with it well that's a that's a question for another day but immediately it's like you can't cross that off your list i mean you're right. an expert in it like right have a license in it so well um i used to joke that um i i came up with a great new idea for a business the best thing to do is just uh lay down until it goes away uh <laughs> because i especially i, okay, that's I consider pretty funny yeah, I consider myself somewhat of an kind of an inventor, and I would come up with these ideas for these inventions, and um, I would just say, "Oh my God, this is a great idea!" And typically, it wasn't something that was so unique, so different that it had to be created from scratch. Usually, it was some combination of things that, if you put them together in a unique way, in other words, you're creating from what they call off-the-shelf parts. If you put them it together in a unique way, then they could be a potential product. You know, not not necessarily like uh, something that would be, maybe even something that could be sold dur at an in, uh, during an infomercial or that, that kind of thing. You know, wait, there's more. You know, this thing is going to this thing is going to do oh, all these incredible things, or this is so unique and interesting and fun. You know. And, and you see people out there like the my pillow guy. I mean, who would think that you would make a fortune selling pillows to people? Pillows. Pillows. I mean, my pillow guy. Um, I, I I wouldn't want to get into the direct marketing pillow business. I don't care if I had the best freaking pillow in the whole world that I designed with a team of 50 engineers to make it the best. I would not jump into the pillow business. This is crazy. But yet this guy made an incredible amount of money and and uh, I also has uh, also happens to be a, a you know a, a fanatic about Trump and and so people are pissed off at him about that and won't buy his pillow because he's a Trump Trump supporter but then there's people that will buy his pillow because he is a Trump supporter it's crazy but let me just say this I do want to emphasize the politics of pillows is another subject I think we should reserve for the bonus session, okay? Right. But um, let me just say this. What you're talking about is the beginning of it. Um, in other words, it's the beginning of the process. 
determine if the idea, the concept, okay, is viable. And I think the best way to determine if it's viable is look at the people out there that are selling something similar to it or manufacturing something similar to it or manufacturing something that meets the kind of the same need, okay? And look how many people, how many entities out there are, are already doing this or something similar to it because I don't believe there's anything so unique under the sun that there isn't something similar to, okay? Look at this idea and look at your competition and then keep in mind at all times that even if the idea is viable, it may not be a viable business, okay? And if you're going to go from idea to business, you need to understand the process involved. So look at your company. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example, Matt. You mentioned uh, somebody who is a CPA, but doesn't really want to do a full-time gig uh, with a big corporation as a CPA. Maybe they have a couple of kids. They want to spend more time with their kids. Well, I, I met an, an, an extremely intelligent woman who started a business called CPA Moms, cpamoms.com. And her business is basically putting moms who have CPAs to work part-time for the companies that needed that kind of work. So, and, 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 and being a CPA and doing that kind of thing could, could definitely be something that can be done remotely, you know, with the kind of uh, communications and technology that we have. It isn't any, it doesn't, person doesn't necessarily need to meet with the client or the business. They can take the information, they can do whatever they need to do with it that a CPA does with that information and provide them with a finished product, finished result, or the information or the reports or whatever it is that that, that entity, that business needs. She created a business called CPA Moms that does exactly that. Matches the, the, the woman who wants to stay home with the kids, who's a CPA, with client. What do the clients get? Well, they get, they get a qualified person part-time or for, you know, a particular, uh, a particular um, uh, uh, service that they need. And that's her job is to, to bring those two together. It's a great idea. Now, um, she's been working at it a long time. I'm not sure exactly how successful she is at it, um, but, she, but she continues to, to do that. It's a great service. So, um, my point is this, there's so many different ways to approach it. If you're putting person A together with person B, or you're delivering X, service X to a certain particular uh, consumer or, or, uh, or, or customer base, sometimes being the person that puts the two together is better than inventing the device or uh, uh, or actually doing the service yourself. So look at all aspects of the idea and the process of turning it into a business and, and be realistic about it. 
Yeah, and I think I think again we're looking at kind of a step down the way. Like if you if you look at the the differentiation between a viable idea, like a concept, versus a viable business. I mean, there are other things you need to consider. Like the concept is just like a general question: Could this work? Well, yeah, it could work. The next question is like if we look deeper, will, would it work? And then you look at things like cost, for example. So let's say you're the you say I want to go in business and I want to challenge the my pillow guy. And I want to make my own pillows. Your pillow like, instead of my pillow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to start the company. We're going to call it your pillow. <laughs> like he has his pillow, right? That's yes. his pillow. This is your pillow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and you support Biden. So instead of being, you know, you could right, be, yeah, this is gonna you be, could yeah, be this the is opposite gonna... of the my pillow guy. You could be the your pillow guy. Yeah, exactly. You, you're not a Trump fanatic. A hundred percent, whatever it is. Yeah, right. whatever it is. Yeah. It's a, it's but it's a like, are, all right, the question is like, you know, do you have the ability to make enough revenue versus supplies and costs and supply chain and all the other things to actually make it work? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a different story. Like I was telling you in a prior episode, like one of the business ideas I had, and I, th- I still think it's a great idea. I just, it's not really for me, but some, if somebody else wants to launch it, I think they're going to crush it mm. is, um, the one where you, you have the stuff where you sneak alcohol in hmm. and it's well, like sneak it you know, into your own house. Cause well, it's going in COVID, anywhere. Right. Right. But that, well, no, you won't use it. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking if, if you have that business now, it's probably not doing well because of COVID, but like, <laughs> yeah. but like the idea is like, you know, you sneak it in binoculars or seat cushions or my wife has a, my wife has a bag that has its own bladder a hidden bladder mm-hmm. and a little like um, valve to like pour out the wine. Right. Um, and it's like, all right, well, that's really great. And that's awesome. And I had a name, I had all this other stuff. I even had kind of knew where I was going to buy it from all the raw supplies, mm-hmm. but it's like, does it really make sense for me to buy 10 th- or a thousand or 5,000 units of something and store it in my garage where the onus is on me to sell it? Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot out. That's, you know, like I'm the buyer of the product and I'm just trying to, it's like a pyramid scheme. I'm buying the product and I'm just trying to convince everybody else to buy my product. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. they're my down downstream or down leg or whatever they call those things. And it's like, all right, well, no, then, then at that point we get to the next stage of vetting the idea out mm-hmm. and it fails the test. Now that business could totally work for you. And it's just not my cup of tea. Right. True. Maybe you're used to doing physical products. Maybe you have a place to actually store the product. Maybe, you know, you're co-opting your, um, what do you want to call it? Like you're subletting your storage and like, you're not the only one storing stuff in there, but you have other people storing their physical product as well. You know, it could be any number of things, but it's like, if it, if it suits you at the, like the next stage is, is it a business idea that suits you and fits your personality? And I think that's really, really important, but we're not at that point yet. But the idea is like, we will get to a point where we're, we're saying, okay, is this a viable idea? Yes. Is this a viable business? Maybe not. Right. But, we, right. but we're, we're trying to hit people right in the very beginning where we're trying to figure out where it's at. Because once you figure out it's a good idea, it doesn't mean you go to LegalZoom and start your LLC and start your Facebook page you know, hire a logo, some a graphic designer to do a logo or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Then you need to figure out like, okay, how much demand is there in the market? Right? Like, and you, I think you brought this up this point um, with beautifully. And I don't even think it was on our list of what we're talking about, but like you see mm-hmm. a market full of people already offering it, you know? And it's like, 
you know, for my idea, I didn't see anybody offering it. So there, there was a, there was a risk. It was like either, either there's, there's nobody offering it for a reason because there's no demand for what you're offering or you're just the first mover, but it's like, it's, you're kind of either betting on yourself. It's, it's like you're blind. You're putting a ball on, on a roulette ball on, uh, on red or black, but you don't know what's going to, what's going to come mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. But if you go in and you see a bunch of people already offering what you're offering, kind of the same dichotomy works, but it actually probably works more in your favor. Odds mm-hmm. are like, if you see a bunch of people offering, like you said, the CPA moms, like if you go online and there's like two other companies that are basically doing the same thing, then you know that two other companies have figured out how to make this profitable. And so it's like you have a proof of concept in place, you know, so you can kind of not skip that step, but you, you kind of are, that step's already been done for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is at that point is like, what's the barrier to entry in the market? Like, you know, do you have somebody that just completely owns the market and you come in and it's just inconsequential? Um, then you get into stuff like, and we're not getting into this today, but like pricing, so like mm. my pillow, like I found out the other day, it's like they charge normally. I mean, I guess they give discounts from time to time, but it, it's like $69 for a pillow. Mm. I mean, that's insane. Like, is there like money stashed? Is it filled with money? <laughs> it's filled. It, it's filled my friend with hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams. Right. Um, and as the famous rapper DOC said, uh, about hopes and dreams, um, Hopefully they'll all come true, but the rest is up to you. So um, <laughs> all and, that is and, up to you. And as, as uh, some uh, Mr. Anonymous said, and I don't know who said this, but be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. You might just get it. That's right. Yeah. He said, hopes and dreams, they all may come true. All of that Can is up to you. you pause for a second? I got it. I got somebody's at the door. I forgot to put the sign out. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So the question, you know, a question is like the guy selling a pillow for 70 bucks. It's like, okay, could you start a pillow company right now and start advertising a pillow, you know, that like is supposed to be a direct competitor. Do you know anything about pillows? Do you know about the manufacturing process? If somebody said, I wanted to buy three pillows today, could you deliver it to them? Like there's a lot that goes into that, you know? And so, you know, questions down the line, you want to vet and test the idea. Again, you want to be first level of vetting is a viable you're shoot you're looking for a no you really are you're looking for a no the next level of vi- the next once it's viable is you know the next test you're looking to fail that test to fail the next test to fail the next test mm-hmm. and like 20 tests in it's like you've tried to disqualify the idea but it just doesn't happen now the problem is it's the quote that you just had you know be wary of wishing for something you just might get it so here you come mm-hmm. up with an idea you've tried to disprove it you tried to show that it won't work you tried to prove that nobody's going to buy it you tried to figure out you know you know try to prove that you know it's just not gonna the business is not going to survive and and like here you are stumbling into an idea that you just cannot disprove well okay mm-hmm. now you're screwed and it was like and, and i hope <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to this podcast she's not here today so you know at least for right now. But like when I was, when I was dating, I had what I called a veto list and it was the same concept. It was, I basically would take everything, like I would take lessons that I learned from prior relationships that I did not want to repeat. And I created a list off of that. So if I ever saw anything that was on this list with another girl, I would break up with her. 
And so some were important, some were not really important. Like, for example, I say, if you gossip to me, you're going to gossip about me. And so if I heard her gossiping about somebody, then I knew that it could be me at any given time. And I just don't want somebody like that in my life, right? Mm -hmm. um, I wanted the person to have a college degree, mainly, you know, I don't care the major, but it's like, you know, it just shows you that they're kind of, they've dedicated a certain amount of their life to progressing themselves and <clears throat> whatever. But, you know, um, the parents had to live in San Diego because I'm just not road tripping on, on holidays. I'm just not. I don't care if your parents live in Orange County. I'm not. Mm -mm, nope. It's mm. not going to work. And then um, I had one where like, I didn't want her to have brown hair because I grew up in Ohio and everybody in Ohio has brown hair. And then mm. that was the only one that I let slide. But anyway, the whole point was I'm sitting here playing <laughs> yeah. a baseball game. That could be Miss, Miss Clarell can correct that problem. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And so I, normally it's like I would date a girl and I'd see something and it's like, you know, something would come up in a conversation or I'd see something or find something out. And I'm like, all right, it's not working. And, I, and mentally, I'm just like, all right, write it off, write the person off, move on. Well, anyway, we were dating for like a year and I was sitting here one day realizing, wow, she's kind of run the gauntlet. Like I didn't really think about it because nobody's ever made it that far, right? So it's like, and I was like, oh, now I got a problem. So like now I either have to act on it. So like either it's really serious and I want to con you know, like very consider going very serious with her, like it's going somewhere permanent or I need to kind of like figure out what I'm doing here. Like, are you mm. being serious or you're not? But it was at a point where I wasn't looking for somebody. Like I wasn't looking to get married. I wasn't looking to find this, you know, person that would run the gauntlet. I kind of set up the gauntlet to like make it almost impossible for somebody to get through. Right. And here, she, and she does it. And so it was like, I, it was almost like, it wasn't reluctant, but it was completely unintentional. Right. Mm. I'm kind of, I'm kind of aiming in the wrong direct in the wrong direction on purpose. And so right. the viability part we're talking about is just the very first step, but just understand that just because, you know, you have a business idea and you're like, yeah, we listen to Matt now and they're, and they, you know, everything they said seemed to line up with my business idea. And I'm going to go run to legal zoom and invest money and spend money on advertising and hire a digital or a graphic designer to get a logo. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to spend mm -hmm. the next two months working on, you know, my courses for it or whatever it mm -hmm. is. Like, we're not saying that at all, at all. We're saying is you've cleared the first gate, right? But there are 15 other gates coming and you should be trying to disprove your idea and then at the end of it, if your idea actually survives that level of scrutiny, then now you have to start thinking as the CEO of that company. Mm -hmm. What's best for the company? What's best for the idea? And then also what's best for you, your family? You're the CFO of the, of the company. How do I best spend my money responsibly mm -hmm. with an ROI in mind? Right. You're the chief marketing officer. So you're thinking, how do I communicate this idea best to the people that need it so they understand what they're getting when they click on that purchase button or that right. ad button or whatever it is? And, mm -hmm. and everything changes at that point. So most people are eager to start their business and have this great idea and tell their friends that they're starting a business. But very few people are eager to say, I am now an executive with 17 hats on. Mm-hmm. And I and I have to start the very unsexy side of starting a business. Right. Well, 
you know, like I said, I would come up with these great ideas I thought were great ideas. And uh, the joke was I should just lay down until they go away. Because what I found is that the idea, I loved the idea. I thought the idea was fantastic. But when I started doing my, quote, due diligence, unquote, was researching, I found that uh, it became, uh, I, I began to understand what was really involved in putting this product or whatever it is, idea turned into a service or whatever onto the market and turning it into a business. I realized the challenges, I realized the investment involved, I realized the difficulty, I re and, and of course a big part of it is just how many people can you reach with, with this idea? If you don't have the money, if you want to sell my a pillow, you can sell it on Etsy and hand embroider and make each pillow one at a time. Uh, you can uh, you can hope that enough people will visit your Etsy page, so and, and want to buy this eighty or ninety dollar pillow that maybe has your dog's name embroidered on it or whatever, and one off these and you know take twenty hours to make it and sell them one at a time, that's a whole different business than selling uh, hundreds of thousands of pillows that have been manufactured in China to an audience of people that are buying it at three in the morning because they saw the infomercial and their neck hurts. And they're thinking, you know, in a half, half sleep, half stupor state that this pillow is gonna be the answer for them, you know? It's just a whole different ball game, you know? But I do like the idea you, you said of having a checklist. So the first thing you would want to do when you come up with this great idea is put a checklist together that you're going to go through step by step to determine the viability of the idea. And once you've done that, then build another checklist that says, okay, the idea is good. It has potential. Certain challenges are associated with it, whether it's manufacturing or creating a logo or whatever, but put that, put another checklist together that says, okay, just because it's a good idea and it's viable and I have the expertise to do it does not mean that it's going to be a good business ongoing, that it's sustainable and scalable so that if I dedicate uh, my my life to for the next year or two years that I won't end up three years from now broke and sad because I have a warehouse full of pillows or God knows what else um, and 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 miserable and having to go back to the nine to five because I've spent every penny that I have of my savings and took a loan out on my house and whatever to create this business but you know what? Um, I would say that if you're real enthusiastic and it passes a couple of checklists and you get the kind of help you need from people like us, Matt and myself, and I say that in all humility, um, or if not us, go to somebody, find somebody that can be a mentor for you. Who's, in other words, somebody who this isn't their first rodeo and see if they can help you because you don't want to end up three years later like i said broke sad and uh and feeling like a failure 
because you fell in love with an idea that you had one morning or 3 a.m. or something and uh, decided to dedicate your life to making it happen and fell in love with it and or in lust with it. Um, so I would say have multiple checklists for each phase of the uh, of the of the uh, of your uh, of what you want to do your strategy the idea the business the expansion of the business and get some help don't go it alone okay get some help from somebody who's failed more times than you have succeeded more times than you have knows more about it than you do and if you have to pay for their time, pay for their time. Um, if they're willing to give you a little bit of help, that's great. And it, it maybe multiple people. Go out there and talk to multiple people, three, four, five, six. Go to talk to a college professor. Go talk to the small business administration. Go talk to some, you know, go to some networking meeting and, and, and bounce the idea off people there that are in different areas of business and so forth and see what they have. Believe me, they'll listen to you because they think that you might buy insurance from them or you might buy coaching from them or you might whatever. Put this idea out there. But most, I found most entrepreneurs when they come up with this quote, unique world changing idea for a product or service, they don't want to tell anybody. They're afraid somebody's going to steal the idea from them because it's so unique and, and world changing. And uh, so if you're the type of person that really wants to keep all of the cards close to your vest, then there is a process. You can also, we, if, you, if you're going to pay somebody, have them sign a non-disclosure agreement or just feel good about the fact that they're not going to go out and be your, your competition. Um, and, and have a strategy. Put that's, have a strategy and put work that strategy until you come up with the uh, the conclusion of, yes, this is going to be worth my time and effort and money and everything else that I'm going to invest into this, or put it on the back burner and say, you know what? It's not, it's not, to, it's not something that I can do, or it's not as viable as I thought it would be, or the, the odds or, or the challenges to making it a reality are too difficult. And uh, I'm not saying you should give up on it necessarily, but maybe it's just not the timing is right. Maybe the timing just isn't right. So look at all those possibilities. Get some expert help. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think you want to keep it as empirical as possible. You want to approach it as unbiased as possible. And sometimes you can't yourself, right? And I think your idea of getting somebody out there to help you is important. Um, when I first started looking at any businesses, I actually had a guy or it was actually through my CPA firm and they were doing a program just to help you identify if you want to start a business, what business would work best for you and just to kind of help you point yourself in the right direction. So we did um, a Colby assessment that kind of talked about what your strengths were and what you had a, like a proclivity for what would work best with your personality type. Mm -hmm. You know, so for example, like if you're not a numbers person, then, you know, probably investing in stocks is not really your best, your best thing. Right. Mm. Um, and on the other hand, it's like, if you, if you're a person that loves getting your hands dirty, 
well then, you know, you might want to open up a painting business or a woodworking shop or just something where you're, where you're doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, the whole point is we went through various things and, and, and got to a point where it's like, I was able to kind of write off specific types of businesses that I wanted to start. Not that the business itself, but I knew what I didn't, what didn't interest me or what I was less likely to be uh, successful in a business in this particular area or domain. Mm-hmm. And then once we focused on it, like once we started narrowing it down, then we were starting to kind of, to use like sculpture as an analogy, you have this block of stone and we're just starting to chip off start parts of stone until we get to something that's a little bit more of what we're looking for. And so one of them was real estate. And I knew that I didn't want to do single family real estate because it's like either you either a hundred percent occupancy or a hundred percent vacancy. <laughs> and that's just not a long-term thing. You know, it's like you could have somebody move out all the time or maybe you have them for five years, who knows, but it's like going to, uh, to the blackjack table and then, then just putting your chips in every time. Right. Um, but then when it came to business, it was like, we talked about different businesses and I knew that I didn't want to do a physical product because I saw that movie, that stupid movie. It was a good movie, actually, The Pursuit of Happiness. And I didn't want to be storing um, inventory anywhere, much less my garage or my house, because then the onus is on me to sell it, you know? And so the business idea might be great, but it's like, here's an aspect that I'm just not comfortable with. And so having that third party come in and actually help you look at what to focus on and what not to focus on or ask the questions that maybe you don't even know to ask, I think is very important. But then at the same time, when you do that, it helps you have a very unbiased opinion, right? So like, you know, in sports, they have things called, they have things called self-scouting. And so let's say you're a football team and you think, oh man, our offense is amazing. Let's say you're the Kansas City Chiefs. We have the best offense in the NFL, right? That's great. Well, you have self-scouts, people that are looking at your team going, like the defense will come into the offensive meeting and say, we know what play you're running. We can tell. You do the same thing all the time. Whenever you throw it to this guy, you do this ahead of time. So we know it's going to this guy. Every time you do this, it's a running play. Every time you do this, it's a passing play. And mm-hmm. so you have people that are, are, are there scrutinizing their own operations because they know somebody's going to do that anyway. And in business, it's the same thing. You need to scrutinize as much of your own idea as possible because if not, the market will. And you had mentioned something earlier. You don't want to go broke coming up with an idea. I mean, why waste your own money? You want to Mm -hmm. debt, you want to spend as little money as possible before knowing, having full confidence, not only that you have a good idea and you had alluded to this earlier, but you know mm-hmm. how to properly execute on the idea. Right. And we're going to hit on what happens. Our last bullet point we're going to hit on today. We're not there yet, but the last bullet point today, we're going to focus on why you don't want to screw up your viable business idea down the line and why it'll, it'll you'll, you'll be kicking yourself for weeks and months and years. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next bullet point we're going to get to is, uh, you've tried to prove the idea or actually, no, I guess we already hit this idea or you've tried to prove the idea won't work, but you have a hard time doing so. So again, we're mm-hmm. trying to disprove the idea, but it doesn't work. Uh, idea number five that we're hitting on today. Um, people have offered to pay you for your product or service. And again, it's something where I think we kind of alluded to this earlier um, was you're not looking to start a business, but you find people are willing to pay you for what you know or what you do. 
So you have no intention to start a business, but you're kind of, you're getting paid for your business without even trying to start it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's say for example, it's like you, I happen to know a lot about X, Y, and Z and somebody asked me about it and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've done this for a while and they're like, I'll pay for it. I'll do this for it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, all right, cool. Well, one person paying you for it doesn't mean anything. That's just a fluke, right? Mm -hmm. It's not one person buying anything is not a business. But when you start to notice that people start paying you for, for what you know or what you do, maybe it's through word of mouth or referral or something like that. Um, now you know you have a viable business because one, it's a good idea. Two, your product and delivery is good enough that people are happy with it. Three, it's high enough that people are willing to tell their friends about it. And four, when they tell their friends about it, their friends are interested enough to approach you proactively and offer you money for what you know or what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really the best way to do it if you can do it because it's like you're not taking any risk. I mean, you're kind of backing yourself into a profitable business. You're not mm-hmm. spending all this money on expensive Facebook advertising. Um, you're just basically taking like f- it's free traffic online. It would be like setting up a website, not doing any marketing, and then people are starting emailing you going, I love what you do. Where's your PayPal link? Like that's how you know of a viable interest. Now, what are the odds of that happening? Again, we want to vet these ideas. So the odds of that happening, not very high. But again, it's like if you have something where you know um, if people are offering you money, then that's a viable business. It's the same thing you had mentioned before about having a nine to five. Let's say that you work either in a job or an industry or whatever you're doing where people are consistently trying to pry you away from your current company. So you, let's say you work for Qualcomm and your reputation is so high in the industry that other, that other chip manufacturers or other companies are basically trying to pull you over. Mm-hmm. Then it's mm-hmm. like, obviously your expertise and knowledge and reputation in the industry are so high that if you decide to do make you know kind of go your own way or cut your own teeth, I forget how you worded that. Um, <laughs> hang your own. What'd you say? Hang your own shingles. shingles. Put shingles. your shingle out, Matt. That was the expression from the olden days. From the olden days. <laughs> um, then, then you have something there. And and my my father in law is the same. I always say stepfather and father in law because in French it's the same word, which is really sure. bizarre. Mm. It's the same word. Um, mm. But he worked as a toxicology scientist and he still does. He's working on the COVID stuff right now. And so his thing was how to get, like he helped the companies he worked for once they had a drug and it passed their clinical trials, how to get it from there to pass the FDA and get authorization for, you know, selling it on the market. Mm. And that's his expertise. And so he basically got to a point where he wanted to start his own thing and for him, it was easy. It's like he has a reputation in the industry. He has the connections in the industry. The one thing he didn't have was he didn't know how to set up the pricing structure. And so he had people willing to pay him for his like, you know, if he said, yeah, I'm starting my own business. I'm going to do my own consulting. These companies are more than happy to pay you for your consulting. Cause like if he worked, he worked at Pfizer back in the day, if he worked at Pfizer, they're, this company is going to, this Pfizer is going to pay him whatever it is, like, I'm just going to make up a number, 200 grand a year, 300 grand a year to do this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. if you set up your own shop and 
they're going to pay you that anyway. The only difference is the 200 grand from a cost structure, they're paying for your desk, for the HR department. I don't know if you ever, have you ever studied cost accounting? A little bit. So like, so when you get hired at a company, they'll spend, let's say they spend a hundred thousand dollars on your salary. They spend a thousand dollars on the electricity you use on your laptop. Um, a portion of yours, of your, you know, you are responsible for a portion of your boss's salary and of everybody in the organization, they kind of break down, like you have a little part of it. And so in the end you may get paid a hundred thousand dollars, but really the company through insurance and everything else is probably paying $210,000 for having you on board. Right. And so they're more than happy for him to say, okay, well, instead of us paying you a hundred thousand, we'll pay you 180,000 because we don't have to allocate costs towards you in the, all these other areas. And now it's a 1099, but you're actually making more money than you made before. And they're mm-hmm. paying less than they did before. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that he didn't know how much to price. So he, he was talking to one of his guys in the industry who actually went out on his own. So again, we're hitting on like, how do you know the business idea works? Because there's other people doing it. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, how should I price it? And the guy said, well, he goes, what were you, what were you going to price it per hour for your time? And he said, X. And the guy said, no, 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 no. He goes, you need to triple it. <laughs> right. Because if you don't triple it, they're not going to respect you. And so all of a sudden he tripled the amount he was going to get. He, he was initially going to say, this is what I want per hour for my time. And they didn't even blink at it. They're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And it blew his mind. He's like, I can't believe they're paying this much mm-hmm. per hour. Cause it's more than he was making way more than he was making before. Sure. But the idea is, you know, you have somebody out there who's kind of walking you through the idea and, you know, kind of helping you see what's there in a very unbiased fashion. Right, right. Um, here's, here's, here's a tip to our, to our listeners. When you've put together your, your idea on paper, you're determining the viability of it, You've determined that it's viable to to a certain degree. You want to move forward. You know it's going to take a certain amount of money, amount of money to get it going. A great way to test the 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 whether it'll be a good business is don't put the money in yourself. Look for an investor. And if the investor says, you go to a number of different investors and they all look at it and go, no way. Well, well, what's wrong with it? Well, it's just, this is, I don't think this will fly. You know, it's got wings and it's got an engine, but I don't think it'll fly. Go back and review what you've done. And if somebody else isn't willing to put money into it, why would you be willing to put money into it? Because Let's face it, unless you're custom making pillows with with your Etsy sign or you're you're just working part time doing people's taxes and you already have a nine to five job that pays you really good money and you're a CPA or whatever. uh, Those are basically what I call side gigs. Okay, those are not viable business enterprises. If you want to create a viable business enterprise, that's sustainable and scalable and at some point, you're going to be hiring people and uh, and 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 building something that long term. Um, you better make sure that that you get 
the kind of critique that you need in order to really understand uh, what you're doing. And uh, one of the best ways to do that is to look for investors and see what investors have to say about it. And uh, it may be a very good uh, possibility to get. If, if you see investors that like it, may, that's, a, that's a path you should consider, having investors put money into it instead of you putting your entire life savings and, and everything into it. Yeah, and I think it's kind of, it goes back to one of those things we look at in marketing where, we, you know, when you're doing an offer, one of the first things you want to be able to do is, is set up a trip where you want, to, you want to identify who's going to pay for your product. And it's called a tripwire. So you mm -hmm. offer something for a dollar, you know, or something, it doesn't really matter the amount, but it's something small enough that it forces them to get their credit card out. And so anybody that buys that tripwire, you know that they're willing to bring their credit card out. Mm -hmm. Now, are they willing to buy your product? We don't know that yet but they are willing to bring out their credit card, which is important. I think this kind of lines up with what you're saying is that it's one thing for somebody to tell you, hey, Al, that's a great idea. I love that business idea. The net, it's another thing for you to have a follow-up question and for you to say, okay, well, here's the credit card swiper. <laughs> and if they were to say, you know, if they, if they say, oh, no, 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 I love it in theory, but not in practice. Well, then mm -hmm. that you know, tells you all everything you need to know. But once you get an investor that says, oh, yeah, no, I'm willing to put my dime on this because I believe that if I invest in you, I'll make money back. That's a good sign. That's because a very they good don't, sign. Because they don't have the mental, they don't have the mental and emotional investment in the business idea that you have, and yet they're still willing to bust out their checkbook. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So well, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the last one we're going to hit. Yes, yes. And uh, we alluded this one before, and we talked before about um, about having an idea. And the last thing you want to do is have a good, uh, a really good business idea and butcher it, because what's going to happen is somebody else is going to see your idea, and they're going to see you run it poorly, and they're going to want to correct it. And so I told you about that British guy that I know, Simon Hewitt. And he basically runs grease traps for restaurants. And I'm like, you don't even look like a guy who would run grease traps. He's like, he basically, he said it in his very British accent, but he's like, he said, uh, and you could probably do it better than I can. And he basically said, yeah, I saw they were doing it. And I realized they didn't know what they were doing. And I realized that if I did it instead of them, I'd make a lot more money. So he bought the business off of them. And so that's kind of the topic of our last bullet point is you have a proven successful, you have a proven successful business idea, but you know how to make it better or more profitable. And so the last thing you want to do is have a business, have it fail, and then have somebody literally just pick your business off the trash heap, pick it up and run it into a success. And so there was a, and it wasn't the exact same thing, but it's pretty close in the movie, the social network, they were talking about uh, Les Wexner, who, by the way, is another not so nice person in the world. Um, okay. He was one of he was one of Jeffrey Epstein's buddies. He helped underwrite Jeffrey Epstein's island. So that tells you Jeffrey Epstein probably had a, a good number of dirt on the guy. But he founded he basically uh, this guy found founded Victoria's Secret back in the day. Mm. And Les Wexner bought it off the guy in San Francisco for I think four million dollars. And then Les Wexner with, um, with his company basically turned it into like a billion dollar operation. Mm -hmm. And they said in the movie, and I don't know if it happened, I would have to you know, double check, but in the movie they said the guy who sold Les Wexner Victoria's Secret 
jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Hmm. And so the idea is like, if you have a business idea, you want to make sure that you're not ruining the business idea. And then the last thing you want to do uh, is see the business idea that you gave up on or ran into the ground and you see somebody that you know, or even maybe you don't, maybe you don't know them, but have them actually turn it into a massive success. Cause you realize, man, you had the golden ticket and you just shredded it in the shredder. Perhaps. Which is, I guess what everybody does in the shredder. There's nothing else you can do with the shredder. But, um, but you can't the make is, fries. But the idea is you want to, you have somebody with a successful business idea and you know how to make it better. And so some people look at franchises that way and they're like, okay, well, I don't want to come up with my own raw idea. Right. I'm going to go buy a Dunkin' Donuts shop mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it profitable that way. Or I can see somebody that has, oh man, they have, let's say you have a tree trimming service and the people are great, but you realize like the people that do the work are absolutely phenomenal and you realize they're undercharging you. Like, man, you know, I'm paying 50 bucks a month for this service. I'd pay a hundred because the quality of work is amazing. Mm-hmm. And you realize the people running the company probably don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you hear the people complaining about their boss. You know, it could mm-hmm. be any number of things, but you realize, man, we have an incredible crew here that we could have. And I bet you, if I had that crew, I could make them three times as better. Mm-hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the idea is you don't necessarily have to come up with this amazing raw idea that's earth shattering. It's never been thought of before. You don't have to invent the iPod. You don't have to invent the personal computer. You don't have to invent Facebook. You don't have to do any of that. But a lot of times it's just looking around and realizing there's a lot of people who don't know what the heck they're doing. And if I took their idea and I'm going to pull a Simon Hewitt and do something that I have like, I don't have any background in necessarily, but I know that I could take that maybe in my expertise is in business, but not in the idea. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I could execute on their idea better than they can. Like the, my pillow thing, we'll call it your pillow. <laughs> it's, it's the pillow for lefties. Like you, people that sleep on the right side by my pillow, people <laughs> that sleep on the left side by your pillow. Exactly. And so it's like, all right, well, we're going to, I'm going to take a business and maybe you have somebody that let's say, let's say that it's not a 50, 50 country split. Maybe it's like 30% of the country's Republicans. And that's where my pillow is. And you realize Mike Lindell is totally, you know, alienating 70% of the population. I'm just going to go in and reverse engineer his pillow and, or, or sell a pillow that's how hard could it be? How hard could it be to reverse engineer a pillow? I'm going to go stick a bunch of cotton balls in a pillow sack, zip it up and I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to sell your pillow for mm-hmm. people that don't like my pillow <laughs> or don't want, you know, you know, it's a Democrat's answer to, to my pillow. And then maybe <laughs> you do it because you realize, man, this guy's alienating 70% of the country. It's possible. It's possible. But that's what I'm saying is that you don't always have to come with this brand new idea that's nobody ever thought of before. Right. Sometimes you can just take something that's good and as BASF said, we don't create products. We just make them better, mm. which I don't even know if they're still around anymore. But, but anyway, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's what they used to say is we don't make products. We just make them better. And so maybe yeah. it's something where you're taking your expertise and you realize this person is screwing this up. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, and maybe it's that one moment where you're like, man, I could run that company better than they can. Does it mean you go out and start a company that day? No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It just means that you've graduated kindergarten. Now you're in first grade. Now you start asking the other questions. Right. What do I know? What do I don't know? How much does it cost? What are the licensing? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, the workman's comp issues. I mean, there's a million different things that you have to go into this idea. 
And the idea is you want to sit here and you're looking to disprove the idea over and over again. And if you finally get to a point where you're like, man, I could just buy the guy's business off him. I would get like, I'll give you an example. So like people that want a boat, you need a slip. And there's people that sell boats and there's certain marinas that when you buy the boat, they'll, they'll sell you the slip with it. So it solves mm -hmm. both problems. So it's mm -hmm. like, I could start my own company, but I'm going to have to get my contractor's license and sign up for payroll services and workman's comp and insurance mm -hmm. and vehicles and all this stuff. Or I could just offer the guy money. Maybe he's going through a divorce. Maybe he needs to liquidate cash. Mm -hmm. And you walk up to him and, and you're not going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take your business. I'm going to multiply it tenfold, but maybe you're like, right. Hey, you ever think of selling? And that's what happened to a brewery here in San Diego, you know, Ballast Point, right? Oh yes. Ballast Point. I'm not sure if you know the story, but a, long, a while ago they sold to Constellation Brands, which makes Corona and all this. It's a huge multinational conglomerate. Yeah. Well, they didn't know how to run it very well. And so it, I don't know if you've noticed, but Ballast Point really hasn't made a really signature beer in like 10 years. And so these guys, there was, a, there was a brewery in Chicago. It's literally a one-stop shop. It's, they had seven or nine employees. It was on a street corner in the northwest side of Chicago. And it was a British guy and an Australian guy. And they called it Kings and Convicts, right? Mm. British, Australian. Right. And they said that they wanted to, they were looking to scale their business up. That's all they were looking to do. They were looking to like go from one to two to three or to scale the amount of beer up. So they went to this, con, they went on this like beer tour and where they went to, you know, different breweries and they were, they were at this one um, convention here in San Diego. And so they were golfing with the guy who, I don't know if he's the product manager or the VP, but some high muckety muck in Constellation Brands. And the Australian guy sounds like Steve Irwin, right? I mean, he just does. He does not sound like he runs a business They all do, all. by the way. Yeah. This guy particularly does. <laughs> okay. And he goes, oh. Underwater or above water? <laughs> right. And he goes, uh, so he said to the guy, I'm listening to the interview, and he said to the guy, he goes, oh, I might. You have a think of selling? And he just threw it out there. Wasn't thinking. Didn't even, like, he wasn't even, he was just kind of just joking, but he put it out there. He's like, you have a think, because he's like ballast point. It's like, this is something this company doesn't know how to market, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't know how to make the beers right or whatever it is. Hmm. And he just threw it out there. Hey, you have a think of selling? Oh, that's funny. Like, and the guy goes, well, how much? And then he realized, oh, crap, I got to get a number. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, I'll talk to you tonight. And so he basically <laughs> comes back with a number, gives it to the guy. The guy calls him the next day and says, okay. And he goes, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has to arrange financing and arrange crikey 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 like totally sounds <laughs> like steve Irwin, right and uh and so it turns out they end up buying ballast point and they already had a vision for it they wanted to be local again they wanted to like have the you know make a new signature beer they didn't care about selling beer in tennessee they don't care about that mm. they wanted to kind of bring it back and make it great again so it's like make ballast point great again <laughs> And, uh, but anyway, here's a guy who had no intention of doing it. They have one brewery. They probably are okay at beer. Like you've knew, and I had never heard of their brewery before. If we were in Chicago, oh, we probably have you. Oh, not, no, no, not the Kings. And, uh, no, no. But that's my point is you've never yeah. heard of it. They don't have no. any expertise. They run a no. small business. They have, they probably have seven employees. They probably are writing paper checks to their employees, you know? And, uh, next thing you know, they're running, a multi-hundred million dollar beer company. And they mm -hmm. moved all their staff to, to San Diego. 
Right. And so like, sometimes it's just a matter of finding something you'll halfway just accidentally run into these guys were golfing and they just threw a feeler out. And next thing you know, they took it because they didn't realize that the guys at constellation, that guy running that brand was probably getting hammered by his bosses because the, you know, the, the sales were down or the returns weren't as high and mm. they weren't profitable. And this guy was mm. just like, man, I hate, he's probably saying to himself, I hate ballast point. I wish you can get rid of it. And then some Australian guy comes up and goes, I might, you ever think of selling? <laughs> And he's thinking, I'm going to unload it on this like crocodile hunting, emu hunting, you know, outback riding, whatever, Foster's Australian for beer guy or whatever. And next thing you know, you know, like you don't know what's going to happen, but you don't always have to come up with this amazing idea. You just have to be able to, you know, sometimes you'll come up with an idea that somebody else is doing, but they're just butchering it. Mm-hmm. Right? You're right. I mean, that's, uh, I think there's there you could you could you could classify entrepreneurs uh, in a startup situation into two different categories one is somebody who has money and could be in a position to buy an ongoing business or can invest a, a considerable amount of money in 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 getting something going as a startup or uh, if they really want to play it safe, might want to purchase a, a traditional type of franchise. And the other category is the entrepreneur who has very little money, may have a great idea, may have expertise, may have the desire, the motivation, but just doesn't have the investment. So they're really starting on a shoestring. And uh, you've got to ask yourself, you know, which one of those are you, you know, and, right. and depending on which one you are, uh, your, uh, your strategy is going to be, uh, very different. So, um, if you're the guy with the shoestring, uh, maybe you want to go out and look for investors. If you're the guy that has the money or you're part of a group of investors, then, uh, you may just want to buy something that's ongoing that isn't managed properly or has huge potential. They just cannot fulfill that potential because they don't have the kind of distribution that you have, or they don't have the connections that you have, or they just don't understand marketing like you do. Um, That might be another opportunity. So in conclusion, I would say, um, really look very carefully at who you are what you want to do, why you want to do it, how you want to do it, get your checklists in order, do your best to discover what the unknown knowns are, the known unknowns or any way you want to put that. And I would say, no matter which category you're in, the guy with the shoestring or the guy that's in a position to buy an ongoing entity. Um, go for it. Don't just sit and dream about it because even if you fail, if you do and prepare your, if you do what we're telling you, you should do and you prepare the way we're telling you to prepare. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have an incredible learning experience. that's going to prepare you for your next endeavor. 
Whereas if you just lay down and it goes away, you might have been, uh, you, you might be giving up uh, the, the next best thing since sliced bread. So I'm saying that explore, get your checklist, follow our advice, contact us. We're, we're happy to, to, to help you further. If you're listening to this podcast, we're not just voices and talking heads on YouTube. We're real people with real experience. Reach out to us. Um, and I'm having a few people actually reaching out to me, and I love that because we can help you more on a personal basis. In this podcast, we're talking often about general generalities. We're taking a broad view of things, and we can get more specific if we work with you as an individual. So reach out to us and, uh, and go for it. That's what I say. Go for it. Uh, as long as you prepare uh, and as long as you do your due diligence, the worst thing that can happen is, uh, is, is a, a great learning experience that will prepare you for your next endeavor. And that, 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 that's what I would like to say in conclusion today. Yeah. And, and just on top of that, I'd say, you, you know, the first time around, like anything else, um, you want to expect to fail, but you fail forward, you fail quick and you learn and fail at the same time. So um, there's nothing in your life that you ever did the first time that you were an expert in, that you were instantly successful. There's nobody, pretty much nobody in the world that had that experience. I mean, Taylor Swift got turned down for a record deal. Think about that. Yeah. Adele got turned down by a record deal. We were watching this, um, this movie about Joan Jett and she got turned down 39 times for a record deal after her first band made it big. Mm -hmm. So, but people fall on their face, you know, look at Mark Zuckerberg, his, his first ideas didn't go anywhere. You know, the starter, if you look at the, the people that, um, you know, people were at Google, the same thing. You look at, even you look at, um, not, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Apple guy. Why am I forgetting his name? Jobs? Steve Jobs, yeah. Steve Jobs <laughs> failed in the beginning, had a really hard time oh. in the beginning, had no people skills. Yes. He was a visionary and that was it. You know, So understand that your first time around, you're, the way you judge yourself is not going to be, am I successful? Did it happen exactly how I wanted to? It's not. The question is, did you learn something? So if you have four failures in the beginning, did you learn something in the first one that made the second one better? that made the third one better, that made the fourth one better. And the golf analogy is always there. You hit with a driver, it's not accurate, but it hits it the farthest. And then every progressive club gets more accurate, more accurate mm -hmm. until you finally put the ball in. Right. And so this first one is just get experience. You know, if you have a first business idea and it doesn't work, it fails early on, you want it to fail as early as it can, right? Because you want to get right. that lesson early and cheap. Um, and then from that point, you can take those lessons and make your veto list. Like for me, my veto list with women wasn't based on all these great relationships that I had. It was based on, I can't believe I did that stupid thing, or I can't believe I allowed myself to be with somebody who did X, Y, or Z, mm. or I, you know, I, oh my gosh, I'm dating a girl and her parents live in LA. That means every freaking holiday I got to go up there. Like, I don't want to do that. And so it's born off of pain, but it makes that next decision better and better. Right. So. In summary, go, you know, look to disqualify your idea, like Al said. Um, look to learn from it. And in my opinion, you want to learn quick and you want to learn free if possible. Definitely cheap, but free if possible.
Right. So summing up what we had today, the six points that we touched on today, um, you pulled people um, in your target market and they validated the idea. You have expert experience in an area where people complain about the lack of a solution. You see a market full of people already offering what you do or something similar to it. You've tried to prove the idea won't work, but you have a hard time doing so. People have offered to pay you for your product or service without you even looking to do so. And lastly, you might have a proven successful business idea uh, from somebody else, but you know how to make it better or more profitable. Mm -hmm. So we talked about today being the very first level of scrutiny that we would apply toward a concept. Um, you know, how do you know if you have a viable business idea? The next one we're going to do is you have a, a viable business idea. Now what? And so we're going to talk a little bit in more detail about mm -hmm. the things we alluded to today on, you know, okay, what, we have this idea, what level of scrutiny or what are the things that we want to, how do we want to scrutinize that viable idea to see if it's worth even considering 10 more minutes. Right. And we're going to apply things where we talk about business. You know, we might talk about pricing. We might talk about branding. We might talk about demand. Um, it could be any number of things, but we're going to be hitting on that on next episode. So that way, at the end of the next episode, not only will you know how to finally, you know, finally identify the idea that's viable, but actually know that, wait a minute, the gates are starting to open up a little bit on this, but you know the right questions to ask for the purpose of disqualifying the idea. And then when you have something that survives that level of scrutiny, you kind of know the questions and the type of things you want to ask to pursue it further to see, you know, is it worth spending more of my time, my free time, and is it worth <clears throat> spending my own money, right, to pursue an idea when you may or may not want to do that? Right. So, so um, any, any other closing thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I think I'm uh, I, I'm thinking very uh, carefully about starting the Your Pillow uh, uh, business, but more than likely, I'll just lay down and the idea will go away. So that's all I have to say. You know what? <laughs> if, if, if you could you imagine the press you would get for just being so contrary. We're starting. It's like, it's like in uh, something about Mary, the six minute abs. <laughs> yeah. The six minute abs. Right. Well, not four. Four is ridiculous. Four. Six don't even is get, great. Don't even break a sweat with four. <laughs> <laughs> so get out there and break a sweat. All you entrepreneurs. Yeah. And if you have any questions, anything that we hit today that hit home or you have questions or you want to vent and say that doesn't make yeah. any sense, or we have a yeah. specific idea that we thought of and we don't know how to, yeah. you know, how to vet it. Or there's a question maybe we didn't right. answer. Go ahead and reach out to us. Yeah. Uh, our emails are in the, um, are in the video, in the description on the podcast. So you can reach mm -hmm. out to me individually mm -hmm. or Al or both, whatever you want to do. Sure. Um, and then on the, for, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can put in a comment on the video and we'll, uh, we'll reach out to you that way. So, right. We welcome all feedback, all feedback. Yeah. Rip us a new one. Tell us you love us. But more than anything, we just <laughs> don't. No. We're, well, we're going to not rip us a new one. Please well, be gentle. You, be gentle. If you rip, well, Al's in a, in, in a down day today. So yeah. don't rip him a new one today. I'm a bit but, melancholy. Uh, I'll, I'll handle all the negative comments, but, um, but I would say this, if you have like, honestly, we welcome trolls, you know, it just, you know, I'd rather the last thing you ever want is apathy. <laughs> you know, love us or hate us just don't my, my my dad used to say he used to call me matt or he used to call me brian or dan i'm like uh the name's matt he goes dan matt brian he goes you know he goes um floor mat doormat just don't ignore me <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Say anything you want about me, but just please, please spell my name right. That's all. Please I spell ask. my name right. And with that being said, that's a great way to end. My name is Matt. My name is Al. And we'll see you guys next week. Signing off. Take care. Thank you for joining us today on the Hallisey and Horn podcast. You've just taken the crucial step to finally take control of where your life is going by joining us on the road to entrepreneurship. The path to your new amazing destiny has only just begun. You're already ahead of 99% of the people around you because you're finally taking control of your life and making the choice to claim your new destiny. We'd love to help you in any way we can along your journey. So take a minute to reach out to us. You'll find our contact information in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as the newest episode drops. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Don't wait. Do it now. Can't wait to meet up for our next episode, and we'll see you soon.